Welcome back to episode five now of the South London Press Football Pod, where we round up the week's news at Crystal Palace, Millwall, Charleston and AFC Wimbledon. I'm your host, Edmund Brack, and in conjunction with the intro music, I'm joined by Billy the Kid of the South London Sports. Uh, this is, of course, the South London Press Sports Editor, Richard Corley. Rich, how are you doing? I'm all right. Thanks for the intro. I'm probably Billy the, <laughs> Billy the old man, I would think. I certainly feel like that more often than not. But anyway, we're here again. Um, yeah. so it's all good and uh, it's been another eventful week for some of our clubs so um, yeah. not just with Millwall but with Charlton almost having a few issues in the FA Cup of the weekend which I'm sure we'll get on to but um, yeah all back and we're ready to go definitely plenty to touch on uh, we're, we're actually going to start with with Charlton in this week's pod an eventful ish week in SC7 obviously the Cray Valley draw in the FA Cup which we'll touch on later also, some good news. Alfie May has won League One's Player of the of the Month. Uh, Rich, you've spoken to him for this week's paper. 11 goals in 14 games, seven in October by the looks of it. Just how good has he been? Yeah, he's been very good. I, I enjoy speaking to Alfie. I can imagine, I mean, you, you can't always tell when you, you just interview players because they might just be very polite and nice and friendly, but he seems very infectious. I can imagine he's a really good sort of player to have around the, the the training ground. But yeah, he's he's had an excellent month. It's actually the third time, it's mentioned in the fairly long feature we've got in the paper, third time he's won the award in League One, won it twice with Cheltenham, including one time with Cheltenham, he won goal of the month for a fantastic goal from the halfway line. So he's been in really, really good form. Uh, we're going to be hearing from him a bit later on because we asked... Um, for readers or followers to, to on social media to send some questions. And there's some really, really interesting answers to a couple of them, uh, including a question about apple crumble or apple pie, which maybe isn't quite such a, is a bit more off, off piste. But I don't mind those. I think it's quite nice having stuff that's a little bit different. So, yeah, he's done really, really well. Um, I mean, he got 22 goals for Cheltenham last season. He's already on 11 and he mentions... Sometimes strikers don't want to talk about targets. Uh, and I asked him if he did sort of set new goals and stuff like that. And he said he did. And he also said he spoke to his agent. Um, and his agent was saying you could have 20 goals by Christmas. And Alfie was saying that if I got to 20, I'd look to get 40 in the season. So he's not sort of downplaying what can be achieved by him this season. Um, I think... The question is, and there's some, again, if people read the piece, there's some interesting stuff about his positioning on the on the pitch and playing with a target man, how much that allows him maybe to have different movement um, into the box. So that's all in there. And he talks about the game against Portsmouth at the weekend as well, which, I mean, looks a cracking game. Portsmouth absolutely going going great guns at the top of the table. But uh, we might touch in a minute, but Charlton's record there is very, very good. So, yeah, Alfie May... Player of the month, and um, just got to hope it's not like manager of the month, where sometimes it can have a bit of a, you know, it can almost reverse the fortunes of people. We def we definitely don't want that for Charlton because he's been so so important to them. 
I was listening to the interview when chopping up the, the Q&A questions, which we'll hear once we finish this, this Charleston segment. He seems to be really enjoying life at the Valley, Rich. That, could, that sort of came across without me even knowing what questions you, you were going to ask him. Yeah, I think I think for him, it's brought him back home to an area that he knows well. Um, and so I think being settled off the pitch definitely helps. I mean, he's saying that obviously he was fantastically effective for Cheltenham as well. But I just feel like he, he seems really settled. I watched the Charlton's day in the life with, with Alfie. And apart from the fact that he seemed a bit accident prone, I think he um, he dropped his uh, vitamins, which is something that I probably would do, that he was taking at the training ground. And he also managed to spill coffee on his pristine white T-shirt on the drive-in, which, again, is something that I would do. So he seems to have my levels of clumsiness. But when you watch that video, you could tell again, he seems he seems to absolutely love uh, being at the club it's obviously going well for him it's not going too badly for Charlton now uh, because this game of the weekend is an interesting one if they could get keep that good record at Pompey going they're kind of in and around it like we said before I don't think they're a million miles away from being a playoff chasing side uh, or a team that could get in the playoffs but um, yeah I think he's I think he's loving it and I think it's, it's going well the difficulty may be is whether we chooks out chooks Nico out injured. The only, you know, there's two options to play as a striker, uh, which would be Miles Lieburn and 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 Slobodan Tedic. Um, I wasn't totally impressed with Tedic in the Cray Valley game when he played. Apart from the fact he was involved in the goal with the step over, he missed a very good chance in close in that first half. And um, so that might be the question mark whether he's going to be able to play. Maybe always in the exact position that suits him mentioned a few times about the, the upcoming Portsmouth game against the top of the table side absolutely flying uh, this season. you expect anyone during that Cray Valley game made a shout to, to be included at all? I mean, it wasn't obviously, a, it's gone to the replay, not a fantastic result for Charlton, but maybe a switch back to, to the team that, that won at Wigan, maybe. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've, Michael Appleton seemed to suggest afterwards that there were quite a few players that hadn't taken their chance. He made a point that this is actually quite useful for me when agents knock on the door and ask why their players aren't playing. I think he was almost going to say, well, this is the reason why players had opportunities and didn't take them. I, I, it was interesting. I was uh, quite often with TV stuff, sort of commentators will get in touch and they'll, they'll speak to local journalists just to get a bit of a background on the club and sort of pertinent talking points that need to be touched on. And one of the questions I spoke to, um, I spoke to Mark Scott, who did the commentary, and he said to me, um, what do you think team-wise? How strong will Michael Appleton go? And I said, I think he'll make a few changes, but I'm sure he'd be worried about being on the end of an upset live on TV. And then the team comes through, 11 changes. So I got it totally wrong uh, as to how he set it up. Um, I mean, Michael Appleton afterwards kind of said, we had good enough players in that team to have won the game. And I think it was a valid point. You know, they, they did. And I'll tell you something else. I saw a comment um, today by the Cray Valley chairman saying that they were unlucky not to win it. I don't know if I'd really agree with that. I mean, Charlton had big, big chances in the first half to probably have it comfortably outside. Uh, Charlie Kirk had two chances second half. The second one, he's got to be scoring it. And... Um, that would have made it 2-1. And I think Charlton then go through. Instead, what happened is they sort of ran out of ideas. And, uh, you know, even though they made changes and brought on people like Alfie May and Miles Lieber, they, you know, 
they didn't really look that convincing in the closing stages. And Craig kind of had those couple of little moments. But I don't think you could really walk... Don't get me wrong, a fantastic achievement by them. And they played the spirit and the energy and everything they played with was commendable. But I just... I'm not necessarily thinking that they it was unjust, but it's perfect for them. They get a replay. I think that's reportedly going to earn them about £25,000 in TV money. They're going to have... They've got permission now to have 1,500 fans at the game. And um, it's not what Charlton wanted. You know, the whole point was that it was supposed to make the league easier by resting players and then having a full week for Pompey. Now, yeah... They have got a full week to Pompey where players have had most players have had a rest. But of course, you've now got this game on Wednesday night in Elton that's going to be tricky, not going to be a great pitch, I wouldn't have thought. Um, and then you're going to play again. Well, actually, in Charlton's case, they're not going to play again because they've got the international break. So that's actually a blessing for them. You spoke to the Crave boss for this week's paper. Did he say anything about Kyrell Lisby's injury at all um, and whether he might be fit and available for the, for the replay? Obviously, he played a great role in, in their equaliser um, at the Valley. Yeah, well, I, I, obviously, when you watch the footage, you can see that Kyrell Lisby's basically crying with the sort of shirt over his face. And you, when you see that sort of reaction, you sort of begin to worry that it's going to be a serious one. But Steve McKim, the Crave Valley manager, said that he thought it was just the emotion of being so involved in the game and, and that he didn't really want to come off. And the way that he was talking, he made it sound like it wasn't anything major. So, um, Craig, I imagine, I haven't checked, but I think they're in action this weekend. So I suppose we'll get a clearer picture then. But it sounds like uh, Kyle Lisby should be available for the, for the second game. Um, he did really well, didn't he? I mean, when that ball comes to him, Kawhi Anderson gets caught in possession, which I thought, a few times in that first half, he doesn't really quite sense the danger. And he's a young lad learning, so it's no real criticism, but he gets dispossessed. The ball's fed to Lisby on the left. It's a great ball in. And Lucas Ness has got to try and deal with it. And unfortunately for him, it ends up in the back of the net. But yeah, sounds like Kyra Lisby might be okay for the uh, for the return game. Hmm. Uh, we'll jump into your questions with Alfie May now and, and when we come back we'll touch on Millwall as it was announced on Monday that Joe Edwards was the club's new head coach and he's been taking his uh, first press conference this afternoon as boss. Uh, join us again in a minute. Now here comes the questions from some of the fans. There's a couple of wildcard ones, nothing too stressful I don't think, but I'll ask you the questions anyway. So the first one is from a guy or Twitter X handle CAFC Tunes. It says, when you were living in the beautiful shires of the Cotswolds, what did you miss most about Gravesend? <laughs> it's a weird one because a lot of people think that I, I lived in Gravesend, but <laughs> I was only born, I was born in Gravesend and, and lived all, all, I sort of lived my, my youth uh, um, in Dartford. So uh, it's a hard one because, yeah, the Cotswolds was beautiful. Cheltenham was. It was some place. It was uh, it was an absolute like yeah, beautiful place. Uh, if I had a choice, I think probably live in the Cotswolds. Right. Okay. Uh, Ethel Ready Two has asked apple pie or apple crumble, and with custard or cream. Apple crumble. I I went to I went to my mum's house a couple of weeks back for a, a Sunday roast and. She she got the uh, she got the dessert in and it was apple pie. Oh. And I wasn't happy. Um, and my mum was like, oh, I couldn't get apple crumble. I still ate it because it's my favourite 
pudding, apple, well, apple crumble is my favourite. Um, so I wasn't happy that I had to eat apple pie and custard, but apple crumble and custard, oh, that's me. Okay. There's another food one. Dean Lane 79 asks, says, I love a spicy curry like a madras that's had extra chilli added. What's your go-to curry? My go-to curry is uh, mushroom rice and butter chicken. Okay. Any other sides? Uh, Sag paneer, yeah. Maybe a few onion barges dipped in the... I think it's it. Is it mint sauce, the mint sauce you get? It is like a mint sauce, yeah. 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 Okay. Garlic um, naan. Uh, garlic naan, okay. Uh, Brucey474 has said that he's noticed you try and put defenders off by shouting at them before they head or clear the ball. What is it you shout at them? Oh, God, yeah. I um, I just try and put them off. I, uh, I, I don't actually scream any words. I literally just... <laughs> scream out loud um or sometimes if if i'm pressing a defender i'll shout to him you're gonna you're gonna kick it out of play he's gonna kick it out of play um sometimes it happens or sometimes they, they can hit a sweet one down sort of down the channel uh but yeah even when i'm chasing the keeper down you see me away from the arms i'll do anything i can to put a player off without getting in trouble um i even sort of try and talk to the, the, the defenders and I'm not not saying I'm a horrible person, but if I can get one up on them and sort of try and do them that way and sort of, sort of put them off and I get in and score a goal, like it's it's, it's good. So I try and do anything I can to, to to put any player off. That's a really good question they've asked there. It's a good answer as well. Final one I'll ask you. Matt Brown fifty has said that you appear to have really hit the ground running. Do you think the change in manager has changed the way you're playing at all or have you just focused on doing what you know best? Yeah, I think um, I would probably put it down sort of myself being um, being maybe a little bit nervous, probably expectations to, to come in and, and score goals and obviously the first, the first four, four or five games I didn't score. Um, and that's when I was just sort of go back on what I just said about being hanging around the back post and not being in the middle of the goal. Um, and then, yeah, sort of probably gone back to how I was at Cheltenham, sort of that that thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna be the best player on the pitch and and believing in myself again. Um, so yeah, and, and yeah, that's probably what it, it's probably down sort of down to me as as a, as a person to to sort of like take it on it's, it's my fault that I haven't been scoring so I need to I need to start doing something about it and yeah and I've just sort of gone back to how I was at Cheltenham and, and a bit more relaxed and probably having that signing for for sort of a club like Cheltenham I, I might probably push that to the side and and gone do you know what I'm playing I'm playing a game of football um, I'm I want to score goals so go back to sort of what got me success. Welcome back to part two of the South London Press Football Pod. Now, Rich, you've just hopped off Joe Edwards's first Millwall press conference that's coming in as new head coach at the start of the week. How was it and what were the talking points that came out from, from his Zoom? Yeah, so uh, Joe Edwards' first press conference, as you say, it was um, it was done on, on Zoom uh, for this one. 
I guess because of the fact that, you know, he's had to kind of want to spend as much time as he can maximising with interacting with players and staff at the club. Um, so that's that was obviously pretty key. Um, I thought there was some there were some interesting points to talk about. Um, he, he mentioned about how the success of people like Kieran McKenna um, at Ipswich and Steve Cooper, um, who's now at Forest, but obviously sort of um, was a was a coach that came through and, and had success at other clubs, notably Swansea, of course. Uh, sort of that they kind of opened the door maybe for more clubs to look at this head coach role. Um, and a couple of things he said, he was asked whether he would um, use his very established Chelsea connections to potentially look at players in January. Um, and he certainly said that uh, he's not too proud to rely on mates. That's for sure was one of his quotes that he actually uh, gave. Um, so I think there's a chance they'll look at that. Uh, and, and, and he's talked about the fact that he's got contacts from working with the FA and just working obviously at Chelsea for the length of time that he did. I mean, 27 years on and off, 20 years in their academy. Uh, it's a long old, long old time to be there and some good contacts to make. So I think that was something that was, was, was fairly interesting. The other thing that he said, which I, I thought I'd touch on, was um, he was asked what his style was like on the, on the touchline. And I, I'm reading my shorthand that I jotted down. I think he said he, uh, he described himself as very considered. Um, so I think by that he was talking about the fact that when you play in front of 15,000, 20,000 fans, it's high pressure, it's split second. You know, he was sort of saying that what you've coached the players is what you hope actually works and that he doesn't personally think it helps massively that he's on the side waving his arms around and, and doing, you know, like shouting and, and showing, I guess, what people say in, in quite inverted quotes is kind of passion. Um, so I, I he, he did mention that obviously he still needs to make on-pitch decisions. So he's not talking about not having tactical input. But I do think it's quite interesting, Ed, you know, because I think sort of people look at managers and probably people you say about Roy Hodgson that he's not particularly animated. And um, I sometimes think that managers that are sort of... you. A lot of it seems to be for show for me with managers that are shouting and being passionate. I'm not saying if you don't, you know, if, I mean, Mikel Arteta is a prime example of someone who's very sort of up and down on the touchline. Maybe that does kind of give more energy to his players, but does it tactically help them? I think, I don't know what your thoughts are. Would you Would, would you think it does? Uh, it feels like they're overcompensating maybe a little bit for sometimes and trying to make, make sort of shortcomings uh, not as evident. No, it's, it's not something that I particularly sort of agree with. I mean, Patrick Vieira used to march up and down the touchline during his reign at Palace as Palace boss. I mean, he was basically at the corner flag at some points during the game, but Roy Hodgson's very measured. He more gets Ray Lewington or Paddy McCarthy to be to be the shouter. He's more of the one that sits back and, and analyses the game properly. And I think that's what you want from a manager. You want someone who's going to see the, the full pit, pitch for what it is, not just look at certain areas and and make sort of outlandish statements or, or gestures towards it. And I guess that's what Millwall are going to get here with Edwards. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I think people talk about the optics, you know, what things look like. And I guess what happens is if you've got a manager, like when, when teams aren't playing well, even if managers sat down, you tend to find that they come and stand up and they stand in the technical area. Sometimes they're slightly more animated. But 
a lot of the time it's almost like right things aren't going so great so i have to be seen to be standing there and i just i, I just don't really see how much it helps i mean there's quite a lot of managers that we've seen over the years that will stand there, but they're not really doing anything. It's not like you can see them telling players to move position. So I do feel like it's just a kind of playing to the galleries more, of, more often than not, unless they're actually giving information over. So I, I thought it was quite interesting that he, he mentioned that. Um, he talked, he was asked towards the end about his sort of what he learned off of Thomas Tuchel and, and Frank Lampard. He actually said that Frank Lampard is one of the most humble people that he's come across in the game. He said people knew him as a superstar player, but he was absolutely not like that in his dealings with players and, and, and people at the club. But he didn't go into too much detail about exactly what he learned from those two managers. But, I mean, they were some of the things that I, that I picked up on. Um, and... We've got, again, a bit of a plug for the paper tomorrow. Um, we've got um, an interview with Alex Aldridge, who is Millwall's Director of Football Operations and Recruitment. There's a lot in there um, talking about the process of replacing uh, Gary Rowett, which um, Alex says is almost an education process because he said, how, how many times do you get to meet without any problems? Managers and coaches sort of dash around London and you can just... It's a chance that you don't always get when going around. It's been in the role for four years. It does actually allow for you to kind of see what's out there. And he touched on the fact that some of the candidates they met when Gary uh, was appointed in 2019, he was saying some of these guys were on the periphery that time. Now they were more central. And he said there might be people we met this time, but when, if it's like two, three, four years that they're looking again for a manager or head coach, that they come back into the conversation. So, like I say, there's plenty plenty in there on that and talking about uh, Joe Edwards and, and why they settled on him. And the other thing that Alex touches on is the head coach role, because I've seen a few mm. fans saying, oh, this must mean that, um, you know, Joe's not going to have any input on signings. And, I mean, as I say, it's in the paper, it's on the back page of, of the paper today. Um, Alex has made it clear that, it's a collaboration. It is absolutely going to be that Joe Edwards has a say. It's more just a nod to the fact that his strengths, absolutely, and very, very good strengths are in coaching. So I think those kind of things, that, that covers quite a bit of it. Obviously, first game this weekend up at Sheffield Wednesday and um, his first match as, I mean, whether we call him head coach, boss, effectively, it's the same thing to a large degree. First ever game uh, this weekend. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they go. In terms of that sort of transfer aspect as a head coach, he still wants to got to enjoy to to coaching these players. He's got to want to make them better, want to work with them every day, see them fitting into the system. So to say that maybe for, for someone to have the point of view that he's not going to be too involved in the sort of overall transfer process is probably not not the way it's going to go, as Alex said, Alex Aldridge said, because you know, he's got he's got to want to make these players better and fit them into a system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was there was a there was a. I mean, I maybe could just read a little bit of what Alex actually said to me because I thought some of it was interesting. Yeah. Um, he said that um, there are clubs that operate where they sign the players and the head coach gets on with it. I don't think that work works. Likewise, I don't think it works when the manager has complete say over everything, signs a player, and the club just have to get on with it. They pick up the pieces if it goes wrong. There is a happy medium that certainly in the championship, the majority operate with. We're no different. So you're right, because if you sign players that managers don't want, as we've seen countless times before, they just don't play them. Um, and so 
you've got to sign players that are going to fit in the system and there's got to be that conversation going on. If there isn't, it's not the recruitment process isn't going to really work. So I think, yeah, that's kind of another thing that I think it was worth kind of addressing that Joe Edwards will very much be involved along with Alex and the recruitment team um, to, to basically sort out who they go after in the January uh, window and what kind of movement there is. Uh, one of the other things that uh, Joe Edwards said today was that some of the players, he said people might see them as, say, ball-winning defensive players uh, or, or actually just defensive-minded, say, players that just tackle and challenge and that thing. He was saying that what he's noticed in the first couple of days is that some of these players can be more effective on the ball as well. One of the other thing he did say was he was asked no one wants to say there's going to be a revamp. I don't think we're going to get an idea exactly how a Joe Edwards team is going to look until we see it a bit over a longer period of time. But he talked more about a shift in playing style, not an overhaul. And he also said that the strength in the the, the strength in the team at the moment is probably that it was an out of possession focused team. So I think there's going to be a bit of a move away from that. Uh, we're going to include some of your noble questions in, in this part of the, the pod. And Content Street wants to know why Adam Barrett's been kept on, Rich. Obviously, you, you've done the part with uh, the bit, sorry, with, with Alex Aldridge this morning, outlining that basically, as, as I was reading it, that Barrett's an extremely well-respected coach at, by everyone at the football club. Um, he also mentions that Paul Robinson's departure as well. Yeah, I find it, I, I find it really, really strange that... Um... People, people talk about people and some of the stuff I've seen about Adam has been sort of very disrespectful, really. And the thing is, like, unless you're at the football club and know exactly what people do what, it's a bit like someone looking at someone else in their company and saying, well, you don't do this or you're, you haven't done this. And like, how do you know? Um, you know, all the time that um, I remember when Lee Bowyer, um, when Lee Bowyer got the job at Charlton, he didn't agree with a lot of the things that Carl Robinson did. But but what they said is in football, there is this kind of code of conduct that you can question the manager, but at the end of the day, you do what that, you know, they're the boss. And that happens, I think, right across the board at most clubs. So Adam Barrett, you know, you can't necessarily sort of have any view unless you work with him day to day. And everything we hear is that he's really well respected He's well-liked and he's good at his job. And so that, to me, I mean, Adam's almost being punished for his longevity and his loyalty and the fact that he enjoys working for Millwall, which is which is pretty harsh, really. And um, Joe Edwards said today in the press conference that we've, that we've done that um, the key thing, one of the priorities is getting your staff right. And he talked about bringing in Andy Myers from Chelsea, who he's known for a long time, describes him as a close friend, unbelievably loyal. And he also mentioned Adam Barrett and the fact that he'd spoken before. He'd asked whether, you know, he got got gauged opinion on Adam. It all been positive, and he said he really enjoyed working with him. And the interesting thing that Alex Aldridge said is that um, the first conversation was about a whether Adam Barrett was happy to stay and b whether Joe Edwards wanted to keep him. And he said both of those had to be yeses for it to happen, and that's what's happened in terms of Paul Robinson. Um, not to be confused with the former Millwall Paul Robinson, who is still very much part of the club. I've seen a few people thinking that, I mean, it is can be quite confusing, but this is, Paul Robinson that's left was first team coach. He was at West Brom and Birmingham in particular. There are a couple of clubs that spring, spring to mind, but there's, there's always going to be casualties. I mean, at the end of the day, if 
if if Joe Edwards wants to bring staff in and staff don't leave, then um, you've, someone's got to go for there to be an opening to bring in Andy Myers. So I think it's probably about as as, as simple as that to explain. Um, I mean, the only other um, staff member I'm aware that's gone was, was Dave Cavallan, who was the performance director. And he was obviously very, very closely aligned with Gary. So that it, it was always a formality, I think, that once Gary left, that Dave Cavallan would follow. Harry Sims on, on Twitter, Rich, also wants to know about the training ground update and whether there's sort of a, a plan still in place to, to, to go ahead with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw I saw something on this this morning. I mean, basically, the situation with the training ground is that the project is still very much happening. Um, as far as I know, it, the plan to build, the approach to building it may be phased over a longer period of time than initially thought. And um, some of the costs and there's a lot, I think, post-COVID and everything else, I just think it's so much more difficult now for for, for, for people to kind of, for, for, for clubs and stuff to do some of this stuff. So um, it's not that it's not going to happen. At the moment, the, the, the sort of message coming out loud and clear is that it will happen, but it might just take, it might be over a longer period of time. And just finally, with with this part of the pod, um, a tough test for them against Sheffield Wednesday side. Obviously, brought in new management staff as well this weekend in Edwards's first game in charge. His first game in charge of a senior team. It's exciting, isn't it? Nobody really knows what to expect. And yeah, well, like we said before, I think things have got a little bit stale. So um, this definitely freshens it up. Um, I mean, I did see in Joe's interview that he did with the club. He sort of said that the first game or two, you might not notice loads that change because he was saying that, um, you know, it takes time to kind of get across what he wants. But then he also said in his press conference with the media today that already they got straight down to it in terms of some of the stuff on the tr- on the training pitch. So and not sort of you know talking about tactical tweaks. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go. Um, no early team news that didn't get asked in the press conference today. Um, I don't know, obviously some managers or head coaches won't give away too much. Um, we know that Sheffield Wednesday have been boosted by the fact that Barry Bannon, the appeal against his red card for wrongful dismissal um, was was overturned. So he's available to them. And um, this is it's a strange one, really, because Joe Edwards comes in, he's got one match, and then you go into an international break where normally players will expect to have some time off. So He's got limited time on the training ground and then obviously he'll have a few players that will be going away on international duty. Yeah. Uh, Join us in part three where we'll be uh, touching on Crystal Palace. Okay. Well, now we're going to move on to Crystal Palace and uh, focus on them. Obviously, uh, Premier League action for them uh, this weekend at home to Everton. But before we talk about that, in terms of a story that you've done in the paper today, um, progress for Dean Henderson in terms of his comeback, Ed. Yeah, definitely progress. Very early progress. I think that has to be stressed, sort of still quite a few weeks away from from making a full return to to training and to to battling with Sam Johnson for that number one shirt. Uh, shirt. But he's back doing individual training with Dean Kiley, um after the first team have finished their training session, which would be a huge boost for a, a signing that Palace splashed a lot of money on over the summer. Um, I think Sam Johnson's been excellent this season. He's really taken his game to the next level. And I know Selzy, who we had on the pod a few weeks ago, doesn't necessarily think that Henderson coming in has boosted Johnson to that next level. But I think just 
by the sort of competition in places I think it has. And I think um, having Henderson in the background and, and when he is fit and fully available, he's just going to make that battle even sweeter. Um, Henderson is, a, is an excellent goalkeeper, someone that Palace have put a lot of faith in. Five-year deal, 26-year-old, wants to be an England international. Um, yeah, he's it was obviously a, a, a cruel way for, for him to suffer that injury. 19 minutes into his... Palace debut when he gets his first chance he goes down with the same thigh injury that that ruled him out for the second half of last season while he was on the loan at Nottingham Forest but um, Palace are slowly but surely getting bodies back in in key areas with Ebrich Eze returning last week Michael Elise possibly back for Everton and been training in and out with the first team not far away uh, and now Dean Henderson resuming individual training uh, should be back before the end of the year hopefully that's um, yeah, a huge boost to Roy Hodgson who few weeks ago, every time he'd enter his, his press conference, had a list of injuries running down uh, a sheet of paper and he was not not a happy man whatsoever. But he's uh, he's been a bit happier in recent weeks. Why do you think there's been so many? I think there was something like 12 or 13 hamstring injuries, wasn't there? In sort of, is it since the start of this season? You think that seems to be so susceptible yeah. to most. Well, a new one that's come out this week is Jezrin Raksaki, obviously picking up picking up his hamstring injury that he picked up in training, um, set to be out for around six weeks. Um, I mean, if you're looking at Eze's timescale, he was back in a month. And I think the club are probably hopeful that, that Jez can do the same. But in terms of hamstring injuries, Palace have, have been plagued by them, um, from Nathan Ferguson to Elise to Decore and Lerma, and now to Jez. Um, it's been a real problem that's hindered their Premier League season. I, I think in football overall, though, if you're watching the Tottenham-Chelsea game on Monday night, you see Van der Ven pull up holding his hamstring, whether it's to do with the added time, the amount of games that players are having to play. It's just absolutely, you know, pinging hamstrings left, right and centre. And obviously getting into the winter months, I don't, I have no idea on sports science whatsoever, but I'm going to assume you need to do a thorough hamstring stretch before before properly entering the pitch. Otherwise it's going to ping. So um, yeah, it's been a real problem for Palace and, it's um, if you're looking at some of them as well, people like Nathan Ferguson, they've just been really cruel timing. Um, Jez was just earning or had earned um, Roy Hodgson's trust and was kind of pushing himself as that sort of first sub to be coming on each week. And now he's out for a, a period of time. And when I asked, asked Hodgson um, in the post-match press conference at Burnley, he looked really sort of distraught and, and upset by the fact that, that Jez was going to be out. He was, he was almost comparing him in the same sort of, Breath as Michael Elise and Ebrucci as they coming back, so he's clearly someone that he's rating highly. I know people have points to the post-match comments that he's made in recent weeks, but Jez against Nottingham Forest showed that he can do it on the Premier League stage, and uh, was someone that, that 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 was making his way into the squad. So yeah, it's 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 not been easy for Palace's uh, medical department, I imagine. <laughs> I, when you mentioned about um, Jez playing well against Forest, obviously he ended up off the back of that winning the October Player of the Month, which you you had to explain to me what had happened there, <laughs> which raised a few eyebrows after the fact he hadn't been mentioned loads in the month. No, yeah, well, it was. Uh, I think it was because Palace fans hijacked it. Well, I don't think I know it was because Palace fans hijacked it after Roy's comments about the youngsters, and obviously Jez is the one who's come through the academy. Uh, uh, Hamada and, and Francia have both been bought from from teams outside uh, of the club. So yeah, they were the ones who Jez was the one that they sort of bombarded the uh, the voting polls with. I think team polls was on Twitter was trying to get Jeffrey Schlupp to to win it. I think he came a close second, but Jez 
when the voting close uh, had won it. Yeah, I mean, I seemed pretty happy in the photo that they took. So, and, and when he has when he has come on, he's looked good. I thought like he, he's he's different. Like it's it's all good and well having Jordan Ayew and Jeffrey Schlapp starting, but Jezer and Ratsaki is going to take the ball and try and go past the player, and that's something that Palace have dramatically missed in recent weeks. And you were at the EFL Trophy game. Um, in, mm. in midweek uh, alongside the South London Press columnist Adam Sells. Um, you were watching Palace Palace in action. The result against Wimbledon didn't quite go to plan, did it? But what were your kind of, what were you, who, who kind of caught the eye or did you think, what, what benefits were there for Palace from that particular game? Well, as soon as I saw Wimbledon's team, I thought they're going to be too strong straight away for, for Palace. I mean, the likes of Josh Davison, James Ball, Charlie Lakin, experienced EFL players, Lee Brown at centre-back. It's, it's going to be really hard for Palace to break them down. You know, Nick Zanev was number one last season. Um, and within sort of the first 15 minutes, the game was done. But Palace grew into the game. Teo Adaramola, who obviously had that disappointing loan spell at, at Coventry, um, bounce, has been bouncing back in recent outings and looks like the player of old. You know, showing real confidence going forward drives forward with the ball, sort of looks to get the cross in, and he's been doing really well of late. Um, I think the un- the understanding is that he's going to be allowed to go out on loan in January and, and almost restart his career a little bit. He was recalled by um, by Palace after, I think, it was, I think he had one start or one 45 minutes uh, off the top of my head on loan at Coventry, and it was just a disaster. So I can't imagine where he saw his career when he went out on loan and then immediately being called back where he saw it then. So... To see him playing well again was was a bright spark. Um, Mateus Francia had had two good shots early on. Nick saved well, but faded out of the game. Um, I think his best position might be through the, the, the middle as number 10. I don't think he's going to be a willful replacement. He doesn't look like the type of player to get on the ball and to beat three and cross it in. He looks more like a dribbler. Um, Joe Whitworth made an outstanding triple save towards the end. That was probably the real highlight of the contest. Um saving quick succession from Ali Alhamidi and and then Aaron Sassi towards the end. Um, Nauria Hamada looked good driving forward, but ultimately Palace's sort of attacking threat left a lot to be desired. The three first-teamers coming in, you're going to need to go there and sort of blow them away, but wasn't quite working. Benefit of the doubt. It, it's a bit like the Charleston thing. You're almost changing the team too much in certain areas and then you're, you're moving it to be like a pre-season friendly when the more experienced youngsters came on, Palace looked a lot more settled and actually started having a lot more of the ball and creating chances. So they're out of the EFL Cup, but uh, EFL Trophy, sorry, but all in all for, for some of those youngsters who uh, might be their first or second time playing against the senior side, it, it was good experience for them. And obviously contract stuff as well uh, to talk about. Um, the Eberech Aeze, uh, Sammy Mockwell obviously did the story um, mm. about the fact that uh, it was agreed, and then it's been reported that it's, it's, it's done. Um, obviously, it had been kind of touched on by Roy already, but there's also another young uh, prospect that's also... It's been a time recently, well, a couple of players. You had a story this week exclusively about Jack Wells-Morrison as well, extending his deal. And there's another young player as well, isn't there, Ed, that's that's signed this week as well. Yeah, Mofi Gemade in the academy, a centre-back who's extremely highly rated, playing three years above his sort of age group from at the age of 15 to play with the under 18s um, was told actually yesterday that he might be one of the highest earners in, in the academy bracket now. So 
shows how much faith the club are putting into him. He's also signed his pro deal at 17, not 18. So this was someone that the club really wanted to nail down. Um, look at him, capped by England as a youngster already. Um, one of the next sort of exciting crop coming through. Um, Palace have actually been tying down a lot of the a lot of their core group of players at the moment. If you look at the likes of Jordan Ayew, Sam Johnson, now Eze as well. And as we revealed yesterday, Jack Wells Morrison signed a new deal. Um, I think the plan for him is to look to go out on loan in January. There was a team in League One who had shown interest. They didn't follow up on it in the summer, but um, very technical player, someone who likes to get on the ball. And even if you look at the likes of Joe Whitworth, you know, someone who, who needs a loan, he's had Premier League starts and, and he's ready to go out and experience senior football regularly. So lots to be excited about in terms of the youngsters. Um, they just... Uh, they just need the chances, whether that's on loan or, or at the first team. But it's difficult in the Premier League. You can't. I feel like it's always easier to blood fullbacks or wingers. You know, if you're through those central positions, centre centre back, centre midfielder, you're going to find your chances much more limited. So yeah, they just have to keep plugging away, and hopefully they they do eventually get their chance. How much longer do you think it will take for Francia to kind of fully adapt and? I mean, people, he, he, he was sort of difficult for him, wasn't he? Because he's come into such fanfare and there was the Ballon d'Or clause and so much excitement, which is natural. But like, how long do you think it's going to take? Is it difficult to tell when you watched him the other day how when he might kind of be more Premier League oven ready, as it were? Yeah. I think if Wilfred Zaha is still at the football club, then none of the expectation is on Mateus Francia's shoulders to come in and perform. Uh, I think the plan was originally for <clears throat> Francia to be almost back up to Wolf and to come in sporadically to just get dribs and draps of Premier League minutes like Michael Aliso did during his first season before he really started to hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, in, in the win against Millwall was where he showed what he, what he could do for the side. Um, Francia up against Newcastle in his sort of debut looked really confident and wanted to get on the ball. Hasn't quite had the chance yet again in the Premier League to show what he could do. Obviously, he had that that small sort of cameo against Spurs, missed the chance, but on reflection, a difficult chance to take in the 90-whatever minute of the game on his weaker foot. Um, I think it's important to remember, to remember as well that he's just come back from injury, spent a bit of time out. Um, he wasn't a consistent starter in Brazil either. When I was listening to Tim Vickery talk about him when Palace were, had agreed the deal to sign him, he was saying that um, Fluminense had, had almost sort of, um, uh, sorry, uh, Flamenco had almost kind of sat him out because they knew he was the one to to come through. So they didn't want to give him too much game time, rely on him too much, and then, boom, he's gone straight away. Um, so it's going to take him a while to properly get adjusted to, to Premier League life, to London life, to life in the Premier League. He, he was up in a snood up at Burnley. I don't blame him for that. It was cold, but it's, it's definitely going to take him a while. So, um, yeah, but he's, you know, it's just someone that Palace have spent months researching, scouting, have spent one of their highest transfer fees on. So you know, the board, the scouting department, Dougie Friedman have high hopes for him. So just have to hope that he gets one chance, he takes it and things start to click for him. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be judging him at all really on this season whatsoever. He's a nineteen year old in his first season in Premier League football. He's not he's not expected to be the Messiah that's gonna take Crystal Palace into Europe, I'd hope. Okay, on to part four, and now our focus is on AFC Wimbledon. Um, start first of all with a story that you've got, uh, you did in the paper this week. You spoke to Johnny Jackson after the um, EFL Trophy win over Crystal Palace, and one of the things you wanted to ask him about was the sort of January transfer window. It's kind of coming up on us now. 
still a little while away, but before we know it, we'll be there. And obviously, Wimbledon have lost really important players before, haven't they? And I think in previous January windows, and you were kind of asking the question of Jacko, what he expected and whether he was confident he'd be able to hold on to some of the, the, the sort of star men. I noticed Ali Hamadi's been now linked with a couple more clubs over the yeah. championship clubs over the last, well, even today, I think I saw it. So what what, what, what did Johnny say to you? Well, I, I, during during the summer um, and even before the end of last season, Johnny Jackson made it quite clear that Wimbledon had plans in place, plans to hit the ground running heading into the summer window. They got 80% of their business done um, and it obviously helped them to hit the ground running. So being curious, I was wondering whether they had the same sort of plans in place heading into this January, which is obviously a crucial window. And um, previous Januaries have absolutely killed off their seasons before selling Oli Palmer to Wrexham for 300k under Mark Robinson ultimately led the club to being relegated because they never replaced him properly. Selling Iobasau to, to Qatar uh, last season for 1.2 million killed off the season. They also lost a, a, a handful of loanies as well, but losing arguably the best player in League Two at that time is going to hinder any side. And Wimbledon fell away and only won two games in the rest of the season. They have a really strong core of, of players this year and obviously Ali Alhamdi is attracting interest from everywhere. I think we sort of picked up a little bit this week that Stoke City have been showing a lot more interest in him in the past and, and might come in again for him in the future. But um these are players with Ali and, and with Jack Curry, who are special sort of talents that clubs higher up football pyramid are going to be looking at. And what Jackson was almost reiterating was that he doesn't want to go into this window, having his star players, losing them, and then having to be sort of scrambling around to find replacements and coming out of the window weaker. He wants as strong a squad as possible to attack the rest of this League Two campaign. Wimbledon obviously started very well, fallen off in sort of recent weeks, recent outings, suffering two defeats on the bounce before the break for the FA Cup. But with the squad depth, I think that they've got there, they've got plenty of options and sort of uh, plenty of players who can come in for rotation and do well. Like a squad that is big enough to go up, I think, like squad options that, that are depth. Like in terms of the depth, I think it's good enough to win promotion. It's just about finding the, the right combinations. Um, yeah, all, all Johnny was saying was that ultimately, which, as any manager does, they don't want to lose their best players and they have one of the best strikers in the division and one of the most promising fullbacks. So, of course, he doesn't want to lose them. No, I think, I mean, the interesting thing with Wimbledon is that um, when you look at their the cups or their trophy, as it is, um, they've been a good distraction for them, haven't they? I mean, I'm, I'm just yeah. looking there, five without a win. They've conceded four goals in their last two home games. I mean, in a form guide for the last six games, they're 20th out of the 24 teams. But they've now, you know, got... A, you know, effectively, they're going to go on in the trophy and they've got a decent FA Cup draw against Ramsgate. So a really good opportunity to get to the third round of the FA Cup. So, I mean, they've got to juggle all the different tournaments and competitions they're in as well, haven't they? Because it's, it's kind of key that they stay in the playoff hunt. Yeah, it, 100%. And I think, as I was mentioning there about the squad depth, that's what it's perfect for for these competitions. You've got players like James Ball and Charlie Lake and, or even Nick Zanev who want to come in and hit basically blow the other side away so they can show that they deserve to be starting. Um, Nick Zanev lost his spot at the start of the season, only had two starts this season, really, Coventry and, and then against Palace the other night um, and also against Stevenage in the trophy. But apart from that, he's had to wait his turn. And I think that's the luxury that Jackson has. You know, when you speak to most managers and most of them sort of lament the squad depth that they have at their option and say, well, we haven't got the resources that 
that other clubs do. But what Wimbledon really focused on over the summer was cutting sort of the the youngsters who never really had a chance of making it at Wimbledon, Luke Jenkins, Dylan Ajay Hersey, um, a few others off the top of my head who escaped me. But um, they got rid of uh, Harry Griffiths, the goalkeeper who went to Nottingham Forest. They got rid of the likes of those and spent the money on actual core squad of players who are going to be fit and available. And when you're looking at their chances of the trophy already progressed, um, they don't, if they finish top, they won't have to play that playoff. Uh, it's like a playoff game, isn't it? So to progress through to the next round, a great FA Cup tie against Ramsgate, which can get them a very lucrative third round draw if they progress through that. Um, so, and lots of players who want to show what they can do. Josh Davison's coming in these past two games and scored three. He needed that. Um, he hasn't quite had the opportunities with where Ali Alhamidi's been playing and obviously Omar Bagel showing that He's got that nous to really battle against League Two defenders to allow Ali to be free. And and Davison has taken his chance. So with Ali expected to be away for the MK game coming up, Davison's found a little bit of rich form and and that should uh, please his manager. Yeah. We're going to wrap up episode five of the South London Press football pod there. But if you do have any thoughts, any questions throughout the week, be sure to send them in to us before next Thursday and uh, we'll touch on them for sure. But... Rich, thank you very much for joining me again. No, pleasure, Ed. And like you say, if people have got stuff on social media, they can send it to um, us. They can also send it to us on email, both the same email in terms of the structure of it. It's either richard at slpmedia.co.uk or edmund at slpmedia.co.uk. And obviously, if we get anything, it doesn't have to be a question. It could just be your thoughts on something. It could be your verdict on the performance of a player or the game. And um, we'll try and kind of incorporate a bit of that into there as well. So if you want to get those over to us, we'll, we'll definitely have a look at them. Thanks for joining us and speak soon.